You're listening to a Big Finish production. Growing up, Freya and I were never afraid of the creature. Mum had done her best to make it a game. Who could lock the doors and windows the fastest? Who could pull all the curtains closed first? Most nights, I wasn't awake to hear the gulls outside fall silent. All the nightmarish dragging sounds and the hideous screeches that followed. But that night, I got curious. I waited until Mum had finished reading Freya her bedtime story. I knew they would both be asleep. I crept out of my bedroom and down the hallway. I just wanted to see it. I went to the front door and carefully pulled it open. The silence pushed against my ears. Then the scraping started. The shrieking. It was near. I panicked. The fear crumpled on top of me and I ran back to my bedroom. I pulled the duvet up over my head. My breath thundered in my ears, but not loud enough to cover the sound of the front door creaking open. I hadn't closed it. The creature clawed its way into the house, tearing into the carpet with every step. The walls shook as it dragged itself past Freya's room. I realised with a start that my bedroom door wasn't closed either. The monster moved past Mum's room, making a series of deep, guttural clicks and chirps that made my teeth rattle in my skull. I still dream about those noises. I flung the duvet off and lunged for the door. Grabbing the handle, I tried to close it. Too late. With a deep thud, the door was knocked open, propelling me across the room and back into my bed. The first thing to hit me was the smell. A dull wave of dust and death. It faded, along with my bedroom and the haunting cries. Everything was replaced by a blinding light and then by the smell of seawater. I woke with a gasp as an icy spray of water hit my face. I was on a beach. I didn't recognize it. I cried as I walked, not knowing where I was or how I got there. Eventually, I was found and taken home. By the following week, Freya was dead. The doctors said it was an undetected heart condition, but I knew it was my fault. I'd let the creature and its curse into our home. After that, it wasn't a game anymore. When night fell, we locked our doors in silence and didn't say a word until the morning. Me, Mum, in an empty bedroom. Big Finish presents Doctor Who Short Trips The Liquorwick Abomination by Joe Vivas Read by Jacob Dugman. There's not much to Liquorwick. 
a small, forgotten husk of an old Scottish fishing town, its harbours and docks now decrepit and abandoned. The dry mist rolls off the sea and licks around the crooked clay chimneys and the crumbling church spires. Sometimes tourists take a wrong turn and end up here. You can always tell them apart, standing out amongst the townsfolk who are as grey and ragged as the bricks of Lickerwick itself. The only time the town ever seemed to have any sort of energy was when the sun began to set. You'd hear a few urgent whispers in the streets. Shop doors would bang shut and lock. Footsteps would begin to quicken. In Lickerwick, you're home by sunset. You draw the curtains, lock the doors, and when the shrieking gulls fall silent, you don't look outside until the sun rises. That was life in Lickerwick. It had been longer than I thought that afternoon. Mum had been late again on church magazine duty and had begged me to deliver the last few copies up to Glebe Road, right on the other side of town. As I slid the final magazine through the letterbox, I began to notice the quiet creeping in. I knew it was time I started making my way home. As I headed through the narrow, nearly empty high street, I could hear the doors and windows being bolted. I started to jog, but stopped when I heard an unfamiliar voice from inside the open door of Aston's chippy. I slowly edged my head around the doorway and looked inside. There was an unusual man standing in the shop, his hands in the pockets of a battered leather jacket. A wide grin aimed squarely at a suspicious-looking Mr. Aston. "'Tell you what,' the man said, searching through his pockets. Call it a fiver and you can keep the change. No chips out now, Mr. Aston barked back, trotting around the counter and pushing the man towards the door. The man barreled out into the street, the door slamming shut behind him. <laughs> Still got it, the man laughed to himself, before turning and spotting me. Oh, hello, he said cheerily. He definitely wasn't from around here. You shouldn't be here, was all I could think to say to him. Why is that then? It's not safe. The sarcastic look he was giving me was making me feel foolish at my own words. Sounds like that's exactly where I should be then, the man beamed at me. What's your name? Malcolm. Nice to meet you, I'm the doctor. Tell me, Malcolm, why is it so quiet around here? I wanted to tell him, but he wouldn't understand. The tourists never believed us. You need to leave, I told him, or get indoors before the sun sets. Oh, just my luck. Nowhere to go. You have to. Or what? It'll find you. The doctor's smile faltered a little at that. What will find me? He asked. Just find somewhere to stay. Like I said, nowhere to go. Suppose I'll just have to find somewhere cheap. Any suggestions? I glanced down the street, just in time to see a few ashen faces disappear behind drawn curtains and blinds. I looked back at the doctor. In my head I heard the words forming. I was going to tell him he was on his own. But what if tomorrow came and there were whispers of a body? Rumours of the tattered remains of a leather jacket found on the beach? I couldn't be responsible for another death. Not after Freya. You can stay at my house. 
I told him. Just for tonight. That's very kind of you, Malcolm. If you're sure that'd be no trouble. You're not crazy, are you? Hope not. Are you? No. Well, that's that sort of den, isn't it? I opened the front door and my worst fears were confirmed. Mum was waiting. She rushed forward, but stopped when the doctor stepped in behind me. Hello, he said warmly. Who are you? Mum stammered. I'm the doctor. Your son kindly offered to let me take shelter here from, um... The doctor trailed off. Actually, I'm not really sure from what. He wasn't so clear on that bit. Absolutely not, barked Mum. I'm sorry, sir, but no. Mum, we can't send him back out there, not now. Mum glared down at me, but I knew I was right and that she would have to agree. Her cold look softened, if only a little. All right, fine. She jabbed her finger towards the doctor. But first thing in the morning, you're gone. No worries there, I'm great at disappearing. Mum began preparing dinner. I found myself sitting across the living room from this strange man, looking hilariously large in Mum's wicker chair. I hadn't noticed how loud the ticking of the clock was until now. So what's out there, Malcolm? The doctor suddenly punctured the silence. What's everyone so afraid of? I glanced at the living room door, worried Mum would burst in to stop me even thinking about the curse. There's a creature, I managed. The doctor sat forward in the chair, the whole thing almost tipping over. What sort of creature? A curse, I said as quietly as I could. We don't look at it. Why not? Now the words were too heavy again, and they wouldn't come. The doctor continued. So this cursed creature, it only comes out at night, every night, and you lot just lock yourselves away and hope for the best. I nodded. Nobody knows what it looks like. There's stories about it. Mostly whispers you overhear every so often. Sometimes people say they see it, and normally they're not around for much longer. And what do they see? A monster. We sat in silence over dinner. Mum didn't eat much. Neither did I. The doctor tucked into his food like it was Christmas dinner. Just as we finished, the gulls outside went silent. We should have been used to this after all these years, but every night it made my stomach drop. There was nothing. Even the breeze rattling the windows seemed to soften, and you could hear the silence like a buzz in your ears. Away from the windows, come on. Mum suddenly stood, taking our plates in her trembling hands. I knew better than to wait around. As I made my way to the door, I noticed the doctor was moving slowly to the window. Doctor, don't! I hissed at him. Do as your mum says, Malcolm. As the doctor turned back to give me a reassuring smile, he heard it. A dull crash from somewhere outside close by. A shadow moved behind the closed curtains, blocking out the light just for a second. It's here! Mum whispered. Doctor! 
She gestured wildly for the doctor to join us away from the window, but instead he moved closer. I just want to look. A screech rattled the windows, harsh and low like grinding metal. The doctor took another step towards the window when Mum grabbed my arm and pulled me out of the room. The door stayed ajar behind us, and I could still see through the gap. As the doctor reached up and parted the curtains, he stayed there for what felt like forever, before turning away. He came out into the hallway, like he'd seen a ghost. I'm sorry, he said. You were right, don't look out there. When morning came, I found the doctor sitting in Mum's wicker chair again, staring into space. I assumed he'd been there all night. I thought about asking him what he'd seen last night, but truthfully, I wasn't sure I wanted to know. Malcolm, I need your help. The doctor stood, with a grin on his face that felt much weaker than before. Fancy a trip into town? The doctor wanted to explore Lickerwick. I offered to show him the high street, but instead he wanted to see the quiet, creepy places the townsfolk don't dare enter. He would stop at the opening to any small alleyway reaching off from the main streets into dark corners. After a while I had to ask him what he kept looking at. This town is old, he said grimly. Unnaturally old, it's off. The doctor shuddered away a chill. With that, he kept on walking. We ended up at the old harbour. The whole place stank. My throat was attacked by the heavy, dank smell of the seaweed and rot. The doctor strode to the railing around the harbour wall, looking down into the black, stagnant water below. Remind me to pick up a Lickowick postcard, will you? He said, his nose wrinkling. There was a long moment of silence until the doctor broke it. I'm sorry about your sister. I looked up at him, unsure I'd heard him correctly. I've seen enough spare rooms in my time, the doctor continued. There were three of you in the photos, two of you in the house, so what happened? I told the doctor about the night I let the creature into the house. Do you talk about it with your mum? He asked. I shook my head. I don't want to upset her. There won't be a second of the day she's not thinking about her, Malcolm, said the doctor. You never know. Maybe she wants to talk about it. Another silence hung over us. I'm sorry, he said again. But I don't believe in curses. I think there's something else going on here. I'm going to find out what it is. His eyes were drawn to the water. There were several small white shapes bobbing there. I thought at first they were the sodden and beaten remains of a boat. But one of the pieces rolled over and a gull's lifeless head bobbed into view. The doctor had spotted them too. He ducked under the railing and headed for the harbour's steps, racing down them to the water's edge. To my disgust, he scooped one of the gull's corpses out of the water, turning it over in his hands like he was appraising it. 
he reached into his pocket and pulled out a small metal tube, aiming it at the corpse. A blue light clicked on at the end of the tube that scanned across the gull's body. The doctor gave me a general explanation as to what the device was, but it certainly didn't look like any screwdriver I'd ever seen. He held the gull's corpse out in front of my face. The putrid smell wriggled into my nostrils. What do you think of this? The doctor asked me, like he was wanting an opinion on a new scarf. I think I'd like it out of my face, please. I gagged. No, but really look. The doctor gripped the wing of the bird and stretched it out from the body. There was something off about it. The wing was only a couple of inches long, with hardly any feathers, like it had barely grown at all. Looking at the bird's feet, I could see one of them looked normal, but the other had rotted away to bone. The whole corpse seemed to be a mismatch, like every part of the body had been fused together from several different birds of different sizes and ages. What's wrong with it? I asked. Nothing, the bird's fine. Well, dead, but fine. The doctor crouched and placed the carcass gently back into the water, where it bobbed away to join the waving mass of other corpses. It's time for sick. It was the creature, wasn't it? The curse killed them. Like I said, I don't believe in curses. I rushed to keep up with the doctor as he paced down the high street. I said it, didn't I say it? You can feel it. He stopped again in one of the narrow side alleys, looking around at the walls. He placed his palm flat on the bricks, like he was feeling for a pulse, and closed his eyes. It's all wrong, he muttered. What is? Everything. This town, not a curse, an infection. The doctor looked down at me, with so much desperation in his eyes. Can't you see it? I looked around the alleyway. There was nothing out of the ordinary. It just was. Except there was something. Right there. I tried to lock onto it, and slowly it started to take shape. There was a lamppost in the alleyway. My head was starting to ache. Right at the front, like looking into bright light. I could see the lamppost, but it was as if my brain was fighting back, telling me it shouldn't be there, or that there was nothing there in the first place. I stepped towards it and it became clearer. A silver metal pole curved up into one of those sickly fluorescent lamps. I took another step and the entire shape shifted in front of my eyes like blinking away tears. Now it was black, a little rusted, a pointed gas lantern atop the pole. I took another step and the image blurred again. Suddenly it settled. The two lampposts I'd seen had fused together. The pole was a patchwork of black rusted metal and dull silver, twisting together like vines in some areas. I turned silently to the doctor, completely at a loss. Time is fracturing, the doctor said grimly. Something close by, something powerful, is splitting time apart and stitching it back together. How have I never seen this before? I stammered. 
because you're always the same, you lot. You don't want to look. The doctor and I carried on down the high street, stopping at every alleyway and investigating inside, finding more equally bizarre twisted objects that I had never noticed before. The doctor explained that the time distortion was affecting our perception, that the townsfolk simply couldn't see how sick Lickerwick really was. He noticed the pattern before I did. The time-distorted objects weren't scattered randomly, but guiding us in a particular direction. We began to venture further away from the middle of the town. We reached a street corner and found a metal street sign spliced together with an old wooden post. There we saw a row of white picket fencing intercut with wrought iron bars and chunks of brick wall. Only then did I realise we'd ended up on my street, and we were standing in front of our house. The doctor had found a worn map of the town in the drawers and spread it across the kitchen table in front of me and Mum. He pointed to the bottom of the town, where the beach met the start of the high street. Malcolm, this is where we first noticed the time distortion, he said, now tracing his finger along the path we took back to the house. We followed the trail all the way back here. This creature doesn't belong here. The very fact that it is here is causing ridiculous amounts of temporal fluctuations. So long as this creature is here, this town will always be sick. If the creature's existence is a wound in time, the distortion is the bruising. The doctor sat back, glancing between me and Mum, giving us a moment to breathe. None of this is random. The creature isn't stalking the streets, it's taking the same route every night, over and over, causing the distortion the same route we took. But that means, I started anxiously, it's coming here. Every night, the doctor concluded. He's not hunting at random. He's looking for you, Malcolm. The doctor asked me to take him to where I'd woken up all those years ago when the creature had taken me from my bed. Mum begged me not to go, but when she could see my mind was made up, she disappeared into her bedroom. I couldn't leave without speaking to her. I stepped into her room to find her sitting on the edge of the bed, a dusty framed photo on her lap. Do you have any idea how frightened I was? She croaked. The doctor says that to hear that thing coming into our house and then to find your bed empty. Mum finally looked away from the photo, turning to me with glistening eyes. I thought I'd lost you, and it was all my fault. And then Freya... It's my fault. I managed. As much as the words hurt, finally seeing them to Mum after all these years felt like coming up for air. I left the door open, I watched as those words settled in her mind, but her face barely changed. She just closed her eyes. She knew. Of course she'd always known. I couldn't bear to look at her. I heard her cross the floor and come to a rest in front of me. I braced myself. I wasn't sure what for, but she just pulled me into a hug. 
For a long time I needed someone to blame too. But I can't lose you. She whispered. Not again. But what if we could end it? Don't I owe that to Freya? After what I... Mum took my face in her hands. It was never you. Have you got that? It wasn't your fault. She gently kissed me on the forehead. Do what you have to do, but come back to me. Promise me that. I promise. The beach was dead. I'd taken the doctor to the exact spot where I'd woken up. You feel that? The doctor asked. I think I'd come to understand what he meant by that. There was a tingle of something wrong around this town. It was stronger in certain places, like a heavy weight of dread in your stomach. It was pulling me a certain way, and the doctor and I both began heading in the same direction. We reached an outcrop of boulders and stepped between them. In the middle of the formation was a particularly large boulder. Just like the lamppost in the alleyway, my head began to ache from looking at it. Its shape shifted in front of me. A wide entrance opened up like jaws in the boulder's surface, reaching down into deep darkness. Every instinct in my mind was screaming not to go in. But that pull was still there, drawing me forwards. With a quick final look to each other, we stepped inside. As we moved deeper into the cave, the heavy feeling in the pit of my stomach grew. My head was pounding, that feeling of wrong thundering out of the rocks. It was almost pitch black, and I could no longer hear the waves. Then the feeling began to shift. The weight in my stomach seemed to simmer away like steam, and I became light-headed. I could just about see the doctor ahead of me, running his hand along the cave wall. Water droplets ran along the rocks and over his hand. I blinked, hardly believing what I was seeing. Even in the low light, I could see that the water was running upwards. The doctor took another few steps forwards and stopped. We're here. The cavern we'd stepped into was massive. Shafts of cold sunlight slicing into the darkness, illuminating the spray of several waterfalls, all tumbling upwards like the water droplets. It was beautiful. But the smell caught my throat as soon as I saw it. The damp, rotten stench. The exact same smell from when the creature tore its way into my bedroom all those years ago. At the heart of the cavern was what looked like a gigantic bird's nest, a heap of wooden planks and scrap metal and chunks of old boats. Something moved in the nest. A huge shape rose into view, its head almost scraping against the cavern roof. For the first time in my life, I looked at the abomination that stalked Lickerwick. The creature was a grotesque, giant vulture, almost more like a colossal dinosaur than a bird. It swung its grey, wrinkled head around, 
its sharp gaze locked onto me, its eyes disturbingly humid. Its beak sliced through the air as it turned, over six feet long and razor sharp, chattering open and closed, popping off like gunfire around the cavern walls. Yet somehow, there was something pathetic about the creature. Some part of me was disappointed. The nightmare an entire town lived in fear of was just a frightened animal. Still, the creature didn't take its eyes off me. The doctor slowly placed his hand on my shoulder. No sudden movements, Malcolm. Suddenly, the creature reared back and roared. A hideous, bellowing screech burning into my ears. It lurched forwards out of its nest, slamming its weight down on its left wing before recoiling. A high-pitched shriek rang around the cave. It held its wing limply by its side. The creature was injured. Its eyes locked onto me again. It charged, the pounding footsteps sending shockwaves through the cave floor. In seconds, the creature was over me. The last thing I saw before shutting my eyes was its blade of a beak, slicing downwards. Then silence. I slowly opened my eyes. The creature was right in front of me, but facing away from me. It was locked firmly onto the doctor, who was pressed back against the cave wall. His eyebrows raised in astonishment. What's it doing? I asked. I think it's protecting you. The creature's head shot up, looking left to right and again and again. It was sensing something. In a flurry of movement that knocked me off my feet, the creature scrambled for the cave entrance and disappeared. Strangely, I found it wasn't relief I was feeling in the creature's absence. It was desperation. I had to find out what was going on. I clambered back up through the cave, heading for the beach. I could hear the doctor climbing up behind me. I didn't know if he wanted to stop me, but I didn't want to find out. I tumbled back onto the beach and waited for my eyes to adjust. They never did. I realized that somehow in the minutes we'd been in the cave, it was suddenly nighttime outside. Like I said, the doctor's voice startled me. He joined me, looking out at the stars twinkling through the clouds. Time is broken. That nest in there, that's the eye of the storm. You go in there at one point of the timeline, you might not be at the same moment when you come out again. You said there wasn't a curse. Is that true? Sometimes we go through impossible things. We need some way to understand them. The doctor said. Human beings. You're a funny old bunch. How do we fix it? The doctor grinned warmly down at me. Now you speak in my language. We made our way back into the cave and heard its talons scraping over the rocks. The looming figure of the bird appeared again. It seemed to be moving with a sort of limp, and when I looked closer, I could see a shape clenched in its claw. The bird settled in its nest and lay the object down in front of it. As I moved closer, 
It backed away from the object, so I could see. The object rolled over. It was alive. I saw the rough, messy hair of a young, sleeping boy. Then I saw his face. I couldn't comprehend what I was seeing at first. It was me. Me as a young child. Me the night I was taken. I don't understand, I whispered. Yes, you do, Malcolm, the doctor said calmly. I looked up at the bird, its shining eyes looking down at me and my younger self. Maybe the doctor was right. Nothing was random. It all had to happen just like it did. I could see just from looking into the creature's eyes that it wasn't a vicious monster. It was intelligent. It knew things I didn't. Its nest was dislodged from time. The creature could step amongst the history of this town like it was nothing. And yet it came for me every night. But why that night? The night I destroyed our family. The bird was splintering my past and present together right in front of me. It had to be for a reason. I looked down at the face of the boy in front of us. I saw how innocent he looked. Was that what it was trying to show me? That I was just a child? If there really was no curse, maybe I had to listen to what my mum had told me. Maybe it wasn't my fault. Freya's death really had been natural. The child in front of me would make mistakes, as everybody does. But he wasn't a monster. He could be forgiven. And if I could forgive him, maybe I could forgive the bird. I could help it. I approached the creature. It let me move to its injured wing. I ran my fingers through its rough feathers, feeling something jutting out from between them. I gently grabbed the object and pulled for what felt like ages, and eventually a splinter the size of my arm released itself from the bird's wing. The bird seemed to shudder in relief. It slowly reared back and stretched its wings out. They reached across the whole cavern, cutting through the beams of light. The bird was free. The doctor had told me he'd be back soon, and had disappeared through the entrance. Shortly after, the bird culled up in its nest and fell asleep. I was left looking over my sleeping younger self. As carefully as I could, I scooped him up into my arms and headed towards the cave entrance. The sun was beginning to rise. The sky glowed a faded pink as I trudged across the sand with the sleeping boy in my arms. I stopped, examining the plants beside me. This was the place. I gently placed the younger me in the sand. I thought about the impact of what I was doing, setting the path of my own history. What if I could change things? Maybe I could affect something tiny. Things would be different and my life would splinter in a different direction. I could change everything. But I knew that wasn't right. I'd learned to trust that feeling. This was right. The younger me would wake up soon and be brought home. From there, 
life would be tough for him. He would lose his sister. He would see his mother change every day. But one day he'd meet a doctor and a creature from another world, and he would know none of it was his fault. He would be okay. Over the noise of the waves, there was something else. A whooshing, grinding sound from deep in the cave. I rushed back inside, only to find that the nest was empty. The bird was gone. When I left the nest again, I was back in my own time. The next morning, Lickerwick had been reborn. The skies were blue, the sun shimmering off the sea. The high street was alive with chatter and friendly welcomes as people bustled in and out of shops. Nobody seemed to note any difference, as if things had always been this way. I found the doctor on Wilco Green, leaning against a big blue box. He was watching the people walking by, a serene smile on his face. Here he is. Not a bad morning, is it? The doctor chirped. I had a million questions racing through my head, all fighting to be first. What happened to the bird? I asked. It's safe, back where it belongs, the doctor said. Healthy and happy, thanks to you. It could have been anyone, I shrugged. You don't really still believe that, do you? The doctor asked. It shows you, Malcolm. It risked leaving the safety of its nest every night to find you. These creatures are from a plane of existence outside of this universe. They don't perceive time like you do. It was looking for you because it knew you would be the only one to help it. You just weren't ready yet. It could have chosen anyone, I said dismissively. You looked the creature from your nightmares right in the eyes and chose to help it. Malcolm, decisions like that can change entire civilizations. You saved the life. You saved the town, not anybody. You. Someone who could understand. Someone who could forgive. Something simmered in my chest, and I could feel tears stinging my eyes. I quickly sniffed them away and handed the doctor a paper-wrapped parcel. The delicious smell of the vinegar inside already filling my nostrils. Got you these. You said you needed chips. Oh, good man, Malcolm. See, saving the world one decision at a time. The doctor reached into his pocket and pulled out a key, unlocking the doors of the blue box behind him. Well, best be off. Places to go, people to see, friends to pick up from the Spice Girls 98 tour, you know how it is. The doctor smirked. Goodbye, Malcolm. Bye, doctor. The doctor disappeared inside the box. A warm wind seemed to pick up out of nowhere, rushing in and out like great heaving breaths. The box roared with the most bizarre noise. The same noise I'd heard in the cave before the bird disappeared. And then, right in front of my eyes, the blue box faded away to nothing.
I never saw the doctor again, or the creature. As the years have fallen away from my life in Lickerwick, I find myself looking up at the stars at night, and my thoughts turning to Mum and to Freya. I think of the doctor and that poor, frightened creature. Sometimes I think I see a dark shape cutting through the sky, just for a second, and wonder if that bird has come to see me one last time. But I know it's not for me to know. Yeah.